Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 34th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio. I can't say beautiful today. It's not beautiful. It's icy, wet, awful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing pretty good, Cameron. I, uh, Spent the last few days in uh, Denver, Colorado, visiting my sister, who lives out there. So, uh, just returning to normal life the past day or so, getting back into work. Was it icy, wet, awful there? No, actually, it was really it was really nice, and um, it was probably forties or fifties, and uh, no humidity really out there. So it doesn't feel quite as cold. It's not like that cold that cuts through your clothes like mm. we've got here sometimes, yeah. you know. So. I feel, nice. like, I feel like I was hard on Springfield. Springfield's still beautiful on the inside. It's supposed to be a low of zero degrees on Sunday. I take it back. That's nice. So it's it's almost spring. Mm-hmm. Almost there. It's almost March Madness. It is. But before it's March Madness, we have some news to talk about. We actually have a few news items today. First, we will talk football and Drew Locke, who announced he will throw at the NFL Combine. That is happening right now. They uh, did measurements and things today. I'm not exactly sure the the full schedule. I think they throw on Saturday, maybe? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly either. But, yeah, I saw some of the measurables today, and it looks like... uh, I mean, Drew's got pretty good size. He's tall, and um, he's definitely not skinny. I mean, he's not, like, big, but he's he's not thin, too thin. Uh, He's kind of has small hands. Oh, the hands. uh, But that's really not i don't think a big deal i think it's really blown out of proportion it's I just saw, it's I like on twitter uh, man they, it's the first thing they do really... you know so it's just like everybody's just getting ready to go everyone's anxious to start the, the combine so that's that's the only information that's come out about these guys so we're over analyzing it i think yeah it's that's worrisome though but nine um, inches instead of if it was nine and a half you know if smooth sailing if but. drew luck doesn't have a good career it's it's the hand <laughs> measurement and i i promise you that i actually saw on twitter that um because of that measurement, NFL scouts are going to be sure to watch his bad weather games. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, how... All those fumbles. How's he going to grip that ball? They wouldn't have watched his bad weather games if it was nine and a half inches, because it's really irrelevant. But, you know, at nine inches, you really got to check those bad weather games. That's true. Thanks for that analysis. Um, anyways, um, yeah, so I think this is a good opportunity for obviously for Drew to improve his stock because I, I still think that he's got a lot to prove. I still feel like he's consistently farther down on the list than I feel like maybe he's deserving of. So I, I really think with as, as strong as his arm is, he's really only going to go up if, if he's uh, if he's throwing. Yeah, and it, there's last few years there's some precedent for the top few quarterbacks to throw at the combine. Um, Baker Mayfield did. And somebody else turned out okay for yeah. uh, for him yeah. last draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll that'll be interesting to watch. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, there are several other guys in the, at the combine as well. So yeah, I saw that uh, Paul Adams uh, had 16 reps on the bench press. Yeah, I don't actually know if that's it's okay. That's for 16 for, more than I could do with that weight. Yeah, so it's okay for an offensive lineman. It's not great, uh, but it's probably average. And Kendall Blanton's wingspan was off the charts. I'm sure. I actually haven't seen any of those measurements, but I would, I'm would. i sure Blanton's wingspan is enormous. Those are the two that, that stuck out to me. Um, keeping with the topic of football, the spring football depth chart has been released. And <clears throat> I can't believe it's time to talk about a depth chart for football it seems like it seems like that's so far away it's ridiculous i mean we literally just had our bowl game like a couple months ago mm-hmm. but um but i've been starved for some football news so i'm good i'm, I'm happy to talk about football a little bit but and it's cool to see an official mizzou depth chart with uh kelly bryant at the top of the quarterback yeah. list yeah it is really cool and speaking of kelly bryant i thought it was kind of funny that barry odom said in uh some of his press conference stuff that um the only player that he really mentioned that's safe is Kelly Bryant. Like everybody else, these you know these depth this depth chart is is right now. You know if the if the game was today, uh, but these could change at any point. You know where these guys are listed, but Kelly Bryant is is a day one starter, like no matter what. And he specifically said, 
uh, newcomers would start at the bottom of the depth chart and work their way up from yeah. there. Uh-huh. But then he also said, uh, Kelly is our starter. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that's one because Kelly Bryant is by far the best quarterback option on the list. And I'm sure that is also because has probably something to do with uh, Barry Odom trying to keep Kelly Bryant uh, in the in the wings of, of Mizzou because there's still like that all, a little bit of concern that he could you know decide to transfer elsewhere because of the NCAA infractions. So uh, it looks like Barry Odom is doing everything he can to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, and I don't see anything wrong with just letting the team know, you know, this is our quarterback this season. The offense is going to run through him mm-hmm. and. It's our leader. Yeah, he's the leader of the offense especially. So, um, And that puts Kelly Bryant in a situation where he can just assume that leadership role from day one, day one of practice. He's the guy, and he Mm -hmm. knows it, and he knows what to expect in that role too. Yeah. It's interesting. We really haven't had a a quarterback battle in a long time, and it will not uh, be – hopefully we're not having a quarterback battle uh, this year. Maybe for backup. Yeah. just a couple of quick highlights that I wanted to talk about on the depth chart. Um, Obviously, Jordan Elliott is uh, starting at defensive tackle, and uh, Barry Odom mentioned his name specifically as a guy who is doing a lot of great things. Uh, I think he even specifically said he could be one of the best defensive tackles to ever come out of Mizzou, and that is is some high praise for Jordan Elliott. I mean, that is there's a lot of of good players have come out of that D-line. Yeah, he was a really uh, hyped-up he started getting hyped up during his redshirt season when he transferred from Texas. People were talking about how he would uh, destroy people in practice and was just a monster in the weight room. And last year we saw that translate to the field when he was able to play in games. So, yeah, hopefully, I mean, this is super early to say, but I, would, I wouldn't I would be going out on much of a limb to say that this is probably going to be his last year at Missouri. Oh, uh, yeah, you're, it's a very strong possibility that that could happen um elsewhere on defense there really wasn't um anything that stood out to me that was too surprising uh one of the linebacker spots has gerald nathan jr listed as the starter and we haven't really heard much about him he's a redshirt freshman uh but uh, good to see him making good progress um they added a new position uh that i'm honestly not familiar with i, I mean it's called bandit but i think barry odom wanted it to be called boundary is what he said it was supposed to be called yeah but it looks like just kind of an alternative position for uh, in the secondary linebacker type type position. Okay, so I have a confession to make. I'm pretty sure multiple times throughout this past football season, well, I know that for a while now I've been under the impression that Tucker McCann just played his senior year at Mizzou this past year. So when I saw him on the depth chart, I was taken aback because I thought I thought I thought he was a senior this past year and I was like <laughs> holy crap how many times how many times when talking about Tucker McCann last year did I mention the fact that he was like having a good end to his Mizzou career I, I feel like it had to have been a few times maybe honestly I feel like if you would have said that I probably would have Maybe said something. So I, I, I don't so. know if you ever did. Maybe it was just a comment in passing once or twice. And you've, you've always for sure thought that about him like, I mean, last year? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because when I saw him uh, yesterday or whenever this was posted, the depth chart, I was like, what? Tucker McGann's a senior this year? And I had to like <laughs> go look at his stats and be like, oh my gosh, he's only played three seasons. That's really funny. Honestly, I never, I don't remember you well saying anything last year, so... I confess to nothing, maybe. But oh, maybe, maybe there's like one person out there that's like, I, I, I remember that. <laughs> maybe so. Well, that person should have emailed in and told me I was mistaken. Oh, maybe they still can. Um, so on the offensive side, uh, there's a lot of recognizable names, a lot of a lot of talent on this side of the ball. Still, uh, the offensive line is massive. Uh, I, I think it's possible that Mizzou's offensive line might be heavier than the Chiefs' offensive line this year. No joke. Um, I'll just list off the starters' weight here. Uh, Yusir Durant is 330. Larry Borum is 6'6", 340. Uh, Tristan Castillo is 315. Tr- uh, Trevor Wallace Sims is 330. And Hyron White is 305. That's insane. That is some serious meat. Yeah, and I was looking at the... The guy that's listed as the backup at right tackle, Bobby Lawrence, redshirt freshman, mm-hmm. 6'8", 300. 
That is a massive human. It's massive, but it's almost like I feel like he should be heavier than that. Like well, he's kind of he's yeah, redshirt freshman. He's got time to add some pounds. But. It, is it like weird that you could actually describe him as like kind of skinny? Like, I've, <laughs> like I, I can I can picture a lanky him three hundred. Yes, I can picture <laughs> him in my mind, and he like actually kind of is skinny for like how tall he is and for how like he plays offensive line and everything. But yeah, that's that's enormous. Um, but yeah. Uh, Obviously, Alberto is, is atop the depth chart for tight end. It'll be interesting to kind of monitor his situation uh, in the spring. Um, I, I don't know really the status of his injury or if he's going to – he'll probably take it slow, I would assume, in spring practices and stuff like that. Daniel Parker Jr. still listed as a tight end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's cool to see. I mean, he was successful in that last year, uh, definitely. And a lot of wide receiver names that, that look really familiar um, – Cam Scott and Jonathan Johnson, Jalen Knox, all those guys coming back. Rashad Floyd. Floyd, yep. There's going to be a lot of a lot of returning talent at wide the, receiver. I feel like there's going to be high ex- that's going to be one of the most high expectation positions. I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we know Throw Ke- in, mix the tight ends in with them, and it's for it's sure. Neat. Yeah, Kelly Bryant. I mean, we know that he, uh, his, he's really good runner for for quarterback, but. I, th- I still think we're, we're going to see the ball – we're going to see Mizzou pass a lot because why not? Mm-hmm. Got a lot of good pass catchers. But And speaking of Tucker McCann, yeah. uh, he's listed as punter as well. So um, I think Odom kind of mentioned that that may not be what they do on day one, but for now that's kind of what they're going with. But, uh, yeah, also Josh Dodge is listed there. Um, so we'll, we'll see who, who wins that spot, but I'm not too worried about it right now. But, I mean – it seems in, in, insignificant, but it's nice to have a good punter. Yeah, <laughs> when when the uh, when the games are actually yeah, going. Yeah, there's a decent so. chance we will really miss. Um... <laughs> You're gonna have to edit this crap out. Uh, Corey Tony. How did what you know the? that? Oh, <laughs> what the? Okay. Got, gotta leave that <laughs> in there. Gotta leave it in. <laughs> What? All right, we couldn't think of Corey Fatoni, but producer Cameron. Corey the... Fat Tony. How did you know that? <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, there's a good chance we're going to be missing him. Yes, we we probably will, and because he was kinda, just like an automatic guy. Yeah, that he, and he, he was didn't like really even have like to charismatic. think about what was going to happen. Yeah, um, yeah, we're going to miss him. It seems weird that we didn't like recruit a, a punter. I mean, I don't really know. Maybe they just knew that they have other guys on the roster that could do it. But I don't. Maybe I, they're never going to punt. I think jo- that's probably the plan. <laughs> Josh Dodge, I'm not sure if he's on scholarship or not. I don't know if he was. He might be now. I don't know if he was when he first came. He might have been a preferred walk-on, but I'm honestly not sure about that. But either way, uh, somebody will punt. Uh, another quote that came to mind um, from Barry Odom in the last few days was him talking about uh, the departure of um, Demario Crockett, announcing that he would enter the NFL draft and that it surprised him. Yeah. Which goes against my conspiracy theory, but... What know. was your conspiracy theory again? That for some reason coaches encourage. Oh, well, I think that could still be true, but maybe not in this situation. But uh, I think that surprised everybody. Honestly, it, I mean, if it if it surprised Barry Odom, it surprised everybody. Mm-hmm. Anything else jump out to you on this depth chart? Uh, nothing crazy. Um, it's but it's uh it's good to to uh, talk about football a little bit again and. Um, It'll be. It's always fun to kind of hear about the spring practices and uh, the spring games. Always kind of fun. I mean, usually means almost nothing, but I think this year will be interesting to watch Kelly Bryant play. Oh yeah. Okay, switching gears to basketball, there was a really good article uh, from uh, Kansas City Star by Alex Schiffer, um, really good uh, Mizzou beat writer. He had a, a nice interview with Trey Jackson, um, Missouri basketball recruit for 2019. And uh, there was just a, a few moments I wanted to uh, talk about. You should definitely go look it up. Um, he linked it on Twitter, or you can just go to the Kansas City, uh, KansasCity.com and go to their sports section to find it. But he specifically talked about the fact that the, he's been watching Mizzou this season and uh, the four spot has been lacking, and he wishes that it sounded like he almost wishes that he would have not reclassified and just joined Mizzou last season or been recruited by Mizzou last year so that he was on the team right now. Obviously, you don't know that Jonte Porter is going to go down and sure. all this other stuff. But he 
felt like he could contribute and was kind of upset that he wasn't able to. Yeah, I can understand that uh, coming from his point of view. I mean, it's really, really obvious. That's like our 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 main weakness on the floor and where we could uh, definitely a place for opportunity. Um, but I think that'll still be the case next year, um, maybe even more so considering – couple of the guys that we have now maybe moving on Kevin Perrier definitely one of those so mm-hmm. the opportunity is definitely not going away I can tell you that um, so I I, th- I understand why he may have kind of regretted not uh, not coming this year but it'll be also nice to have him whenever you know he has another year of development and maybe the team's a little bit better right so in the long run it might be a good thing yeah uh, another really interesting part of that was he spoke um or he gave some more details about his recruitment and the fact that he committed to minnesota and when he made that flip to mizzou and decommitted from minnesota there was a lot of people assuming that conzo martin was actively recruiting him while he was committed to minnesota and trey basically squashed that and said quote the day i told them i was committing to minnesota was the last day i talked to mizzou um then he said quote the day i called them missouri to say that he was committing was the first time since. It's so, pretty cool. I mean, if you take him at his word, which I will choose to do, they shut off communications, and then he had a change of heart, reached out to them, and I'm sure they welcomed him back in with open arms. Talk about a uh, ace recruiter. You didn't even have to talk to <laughs> right. him, and he, he just called you. He's like, "Hey, coach, I'm committing." Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, it's it's cool. I mean. Looking back at that, it just seemed like it was so random. And I'm sure the coaches, if, the, if that story is true, I'm sure that the coaches felt the same way. Um, it but, probably felt like Christmas to them. Yeah, like. exactly. I mean, the, the, but the story kind of makes sense, though. I mean, it seemed like he was 100% to Mizzou. I mean, we, I remember talking about it, how, you know, maybe not 100%, but we were really, really sure yeah. this guy was probably coming to Mizzou. And then out of the blue, just commits to Minnesota. He probably got pressured on his visit, um, maybe got a little excited. I don't know, but it, they, he, he cites that uh, his mother, uh, he and his mother both agree that they just kind of rushed into a decision and uh, probably sat on it for a few weeks and realized this is probably not what I want to do. I want to take some more time or want to flip to where my heart's telling me to go. Mm-hmm. But I definitely recommend uh, looking up that article and reading it for yourself because there's some some interesting tidbits and it was, it was cool to hear from him. Uh, still talking about basketball, we have news, of course, that Mark Smith will not be playing another game this season for Missouri because he's having surgery. And if I'm correct, it's actually foot surgery, but related to his twisted ankle from the uh, Arkansas game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you might be right about that. I'm not honestly sure. But um, it's a bummer to see him <clears throat> have to end the season early. Uh, had a, I think he had a really successful season, honestly. I mean, he, he went far beyond probably what most people expected him to do. Um and he shot the ball so well. And that's, I mean, that's what he was on the floor to do, I think. Mm-hmm. And to give us another uh, ball handler and to, and to shoot threes, and he definitely did both of those things. And nobody expected him to go from shooting in the 20s, 20-ish percent at Illinois to turn around and shoot almost 50% from three yeah. at Missouri. That was just... We talked about it on this podcast a little bit about progress and development but you know, from year to year and how confidence kind of plays into why guys get better every year and we literally saw that happen exactly this i mean with mark smith this year he's at illinois he's in an uncomfortable situation he and the coaches are butting heads and he's playing terribly he comes to mizzou and it seems like he's much happier he's you know starting and he just automatically looks more natural and he's shooting really well so confidence and comfort can uh, can go a long way yeah when they when they made the announcement that he was cleared to play this season I was like well that's cool get some some guard depth and um, hopefully contribute a little bit on offense I never imagined that he would perform the way he did and like the role that he would play of just playing a ton of minutes and taking a ton of shots and trying to carry the offense at times definitely like when they when it was really rolling it was very rarely would I say it was rolling from Missouri on offense this year but when Jeremiah Tillman is is doing his thing down low, and then you have kickouts to Mark Smith. I mean, that was 
the best Missouri played was when those two guys were on. Yeah. And I, I remember when Mark Smith was coming out of high school and <clears throat> Missouri was kind of in on the, you know, in the running for him. And I remember wanting him really bad because, you know, he's an athletic kid. He plays multiple sports. He's big and strong. Um, and he's kind of what we needed at the time to kind of put a nice cherry on top for that, for that big recruiting class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of the role that we didn't have last year. We needed another ball handler last year. I remember really wanting Mark Smith. He goes to Illinois and kind of struggles, and, you know, I mean, part of that's part of being a freshman too. Mm-hmm. But um, I think Mark Smith this year was the player he was supposed to be coming out of high school. And I think that's what we, you know, what the coaches expected to see from him coming out of high school is, is what we saw this year. And the coaching staff must have known that that's what he was capable of you know, for this season because, you know, the, the common talk regard, uh, surrounding him before this season was, you know, maybe that's exactly what he needs to sit out a year, you know, you know, like kind of regain his footing in college um, at the college level for basketball and just kind of work his way back into it and having this year off where he can fully prepare for another college season might be exactly what he needed. Well, he went out and proved he did not need to sit out a year. He was fully ready to contribute on a Power 5 team. Mm-hmm. Last bit of news this week is Missouri is going to retire another uh, basketball number. The number 50, worn by John Brown, will be retired March 9th in Missouri's last home game. Big John Brown, number 50. Uh, he played in the early 70s. Uh, and I'm going to be just straight up and honest with you guys. I don't know a whole lot about John Brown. You didn't You didn't watch John Brown play in uh, 1970 to 1973? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I did, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't recall any specific memories. Well, let me tell you, he, was, he played from 1970 to 1973 and was the 10th overall pick uh, by the Atlanta Hawks in 1973. So, nice. Did he, what other what other teams did he play for? He played for the Chicago Bulls, the Utah Jazz, the Atlanta Hawks again, and of course, uh, from 1980 to 1982, he played for Basket Mestiere in Italy. Nice the Italian powerhouse. That is one of my favorite teams. Um, well, good for, good for John Brown. Um, probably an elderly fellow by now. Um, he is 67 years old. Okay. That's not actually too bad. Um, but yeah, number 50. It's gone. Nobody can nobody can wear that number ever again for, for Mizzou. Correct. Uh, congratulations, Mr. Brown. Moving on. Missouri played in two more basketball games, believe it or not, and they lost both of, both of them. So If only we would have John Brown. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, he would have played the f- he could have played the four. The, the six, like now, present day John Brown, we might have won. Six seven two twenty. I mean, he would step in and contribute at the four oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so we did uh, what we wanted to give the basketball team for Valentine's Day a while back. I tried to give them a, an upset in one of these four the past four games, and I pinpointed the Florida game as the most likely, and it was the most likely but they couldn't hold on to it. You gave them the gift of Mark Smith returning. He returned for two games and then is out for the rest of the season. He kind of returned. He didn't eat like yeah. when was, one of was not from himself. Three. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> okay, well, that you said that was our Valentine's gift? Yes. Okay, well, Valentine's Day is a dumb made-up holiday anyway. True. Don't, don't tell my wife I said that. Oh, you can tell so, my, my wife knows it. So. Okay, well, that's yeah. good. So it, it didn't even count anyway, and Valentine's Day is not real, so True. that's that's why that happened. That makes sense. Anyway, this Florida game, uh, I for some reason I wasn't as frustrated by it as I was, like, you know, other leads that have been blown this season. Um, just because... Like LSU? Uh, well, I wasn't going to say those letters, but yeah. <laughs> um, when Missouri was up nine at halftime, I just thought it's irrelevant. I mean, and it means nothing. I basically. actually agree. I had the exact same thought. I actually missed the first half because I was on a plane, uh, flying to Denver, so I. Uh, but I watched the second half on my phone in an airport. Uh, but so I, I just I landed and saw that it was halftime. They were by nine, and I was like, "Wow, that's very encouraging." And then, of course, the second half 
pretty much went as exactly as you could have possibly imagined. Like just a slow death to uh, you know eventually giving up the lead in the last few minutes and and just losing. So, but I don't think anybody was probably surprised by that by that outcome. I mean, it's it's happened in like every game this year. I mean, Missouri has been so very predictable, and you would just have been asinine to not see that coming. But they did they did fight. They still fought to the end. Yeah, I mean, uh, we sound like a broken record kind of now because we talk about in all these losses that they've fought till the very end, and you know just having a lead on the road in this game is is impressive um obviously you'd love to see them finish these type of games but when you just talent wise are just outmanned like that i mean we talked about florida's freshman class that's the florida florida's freshman class is has rankings that are not like a kentucky level but it's just no, it's so much higher than what Missouri is putting out on the floor. Yeah, and I know ratings and stars aren't everything, but they there's a reason they're there, and there's a reason. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. There's a reason Kentucky recruits five five star guys. And Especially there's a reason, in basketball, I mean yeah. the the rankings translate pretty accurately, at least at the top in basketball. Right. Uh, but I mean, our our scouting report <clears throat> was was pretty right on honestly with florida i mean they shot three for 15 from three Mm -hmm. we talked about how their offense was not going to blow us out of the water they definitely didn't do that but they're a good defensive team and they held us held missouri to 60 points and uh so i mean like i already said this game pretty much went exactly as we expected it to i mean almost exactly the scouting report yeah jeremiah tillman was in foul trouble and uh it actually led to him uh being disqualified and then um, he had a little. Uh, he had a Valentine's Day gift. Yes, a Valentine's late Valentine's Day gift for the Florida student section, which I need to add. I'm just reminded how awful it is to listen to the Florida student section on TV. They have a microphone entirely too close to those to those college students, and I tweeted out during the game that it sounds like uh, they have the student section has a collective IQ of like 70 because they are just. That's low. That, that yeah. For those of you who don't know, that's low, <laughs> and they just sound like the things that they would chant and like yell at the refs about because you could hear an individual yell a sentence to a ref because the broadcast was picking it up, and they would yell things that it's like the I don't know like your older relative who doesn't really know how basketball works would yell when they're watching it on TV. And you're just like, eh, maybe don't say that because you're not quite right. That's the kind of stuff that they were yelling. And I was just like, holy cow, why? And we can all acknowledge how difficult it is to uh, watch a basketball game with your family at Christmas. And you're like, <laughs> Uncle Joe was like saying like horrible, like ignorant things about yeah. the sport of basketball. Like when they're just showing how biased they are and just, yeah, they just can't deal with the fact that their team does commit fouls sometimes or things like that and then he brings up uh how like one of like your the players on your team got arrested like three years ago for like marijuana possession yeah and then he asks like um how's jonte porter jr doing with the bulls this season you're like oh, okay that's with the who oh with the the... Bull... <laughs> <laughs> I you're making another weed joke about bowls or something <laughs> anyways um yeah so I, <laughs> I i had the volume like turned down pretty low because i was in in public trying to watch this game on my phone so i i can't uh say that i heard any of that but i, be- I definitely believe you but that's I the felt- second game in a row you've had a, a remark about <laughs> like some kind of audio like complaint going yeah. on um i felt for jeremiah Tillman because i can only imagine like w- what i was hearing through the broadcast they just seemed so annoying yeah but you just can't do that you have to know there's so many cameras in that place and yeah. you're not going to just get away with uh, flipping the bird to the entire student section. Yeah, I mean, I got to admit, I don't really care one way or the other what he does, but I I wondered if he might honestly get a suspension, maybe not with like the SEC or anything, but I thought that he might be penalized within the program and we'll talk about it later, but he didn't start um, against Mississippi State. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I'm it's, sure it it's very possible. That's the only thing that makes sense, really. Um, so yeah, Tillman fouled out and it was kind of like, it, there wasn't a dramatic collapse in this game for, for Missouri when they lost the lead. It was just like Florida hung around and 
Missouri just doesn't have what it needs on offense to put a team away. Yeah. Yeah, it, it that's what it comes down to pretty much every game is Missouri just doesn't have the personnel to beat good SEC teams on the road or really at home either, especially minus Mark Smith and, and Jonte when we've talked about it at like every game. Yeah, but, yeah, and once again, just like the fact that they're staying competitive, getting these leads, and they're not getting blown out by pretty much anybody. Uh, the Mississippi State game got a little out of hand late, but even that one was close well into the second half. Um, did you have a – there was a quote that we talked about before we uh, went live or started recording about uh, Tillman. Yeah. Uh, I think that was after <clears throat> as well, after one of these two games – uh, Conzo expressed some frustration with Tillman because <clears throat> yeah. at this point, I mean, he's got a, he's got a point. Tillman gets called for dumb fouls. It happens. The refs make mistakes. <clears throat> it seems like it happens to Tillman maybe more than other players. But Tillman's got to realize that he's in the spotlight. He's doing things like he's being watched probably closer than like any other player in the SEC. Honestly, for, for honestly for fouls, um, he's got to realize that. Just I don't know. Like he he fouls people too. Yeah. He, he he earns a lot of the calls he gets as well. So he's just got to be smarter, and it's just kind of the thing that just continues to drag on. And he just has to have some some mental toughness and realize how important he is to this team. He can't he can't be off the floor for half the game. Right. And I think Martin basically said, um, if not flat out, he said something to the effect of after the Mississippi State game where he fouled out yet again that. All those fouls were legitimate. Legitimate. So I don't think Conzo. I mean, Conzo knows that some fouls are, you know, questionable. And everybody, even if you're looking at it from an objective standpoint, if you're not trying to be biased, you just know that college refs are not the best, <laughs> and they're going to make a lot of mistakes. And when it seems like a disproportionate amount of those mistakes happen around Jeremiah Tillman you can get frustrated and obviously he gets frustrated Tillman gets frustrated <laughs> but Martin basically is saying hey those those were legitimate yeah some fouls are bad but I mean you gotta deal with it yeah it's frustrating because we know how much talent seems to be unused and like obviously he's Jeremiah Tillman's really talented and he's like our pretty much only weapon on our entire team right now and if he's not playing then we're awful yeah and, and he picked up that flagrant foul in the Florida game. He had the flagrant foul where he kind of just threw his arm out and caught a guy in the neck, chin area, and it just didn't seem like a necessary thing to do. Like a natural movement. Yeah, it just was like, what, what are you doing exactly? And then another foul where he just ran over a guy. Yeah. Um, even if, I think, I, obviously I hate flopping in basketball, but you can there you can you can help yourself by not getting, not, not putting yourself in a position where a flop will hurt you, basically. Yeah. yeah, he just, I don't know what it is. Honestly, he's got to just have better body control or something or have some more mental toughness. Spatial or, awareness. Yeah, spatial yeah. awareness of like stop fighting for position for uh, like, I don't know, for 10 seconds, it seems like at times. Mm -hmm. He's just like fighting at the death to get, to get position sometimes in down low. Maybe just reset and, you know, do something else. I don't know. but I honestly think he could watch Reed Nico a little bit when it comes to that specific aspect of not overdoing it mm -hmm. when you're fighting for position. It seems like Nico, he, he gets good position a lot, and he's not, you know, really flailing. It, it's not like – it doesn't seem like a fight down right. there. And maybe that's because teams don't care if he gets position. Um Obviously, Possible. they're going to try a lot harder to not let Tillman get position. But it just seems like Nico is not, you know, going overboard when he's kind of jockeying around down there. Yeah, I mean, same thing with Perrier, too. I mean, yeah. Perrier's 6'7", and right. gets called for half the fouls that Tillman does. Right. Um, speaking of Reed Nico, though, I just something that I've noticed about him lately is he he has a tendency to, like, help and provide really good rim protection and then completely forget about the fact that if they do miss which is what you're trying to make happen there's going to be a rebound and it seems like 
like three quarters of the team's offensive rebounds in a given game are right behind Reed Nico after he made a good defensive play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really frustrating to watch. There's nothing more backbreaking than like thinking you've won the possession and then you didn't. <laughs> and then, you know, Florida just has an easy put back mm-hmm. or kick it out for a three or whatever, the inside out stuff. So uh, it, it is backbreaking. I mean, Reed Nico actually had a pretty nice play down the stretch against Florida. Um, he had like an and one. Um, was it a putback or I can't remember honestly the play, but uh, he missed the free throw. And mm-hmm. that's that's what I unfortunately remember the most about it. But um, he did make a nice play and. Uh, he started over Tillman, so he's definitely better than Tillman now. Um, <laughs> that should be like a clickbait title that, you know, yeah. click, clickbait title we didn't use. Reed Nico <laughs> better than Jeremiah Tillman now. Just kidding. Um, but. Yeah, in the Mississippi State game, um, I want to talk a little bit about KJ Santos because he got uh, 23 minutes in that one after just playing um, six minutes against Florida. And was serviceable on offense Um, ended up with five points and made a three and had six rebounds so he was active and contributed although he was part of maybe the most frustrating thing of the night that i saw was when missouri had a they were only down by five and i'm pretty sure i'm back-to-back possessions first um, santos missed two free throws and then Suggs missed two free throws in a five-point game. It was still early. It was like 30 to 35 or something like that, and they missed four straight free throws. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, that might that's not good when you're trying to beat a team on the road, a top 25 team on the road. Yeah, Mississippi State's just really, really good. They're, they're, I think we talked about this in our, uh, in our scouting report last week, but just have experience everywhere, really talented, really athletic, can shoot. Um, <clears throat> I think they're good enough to make the Sweet 16, honestly. Uh, so that that win was just not going to happen. Yeah, one thing about Santos that I've noticed is this kind of weird tendency of him to look down at his feet um, every time he catches the ball. He's I, It looks like he's probably looking for the three-point line when he catches it near the three-point line, but it's but it seems like a like a habit hmm. like just something that he's automatically going to do catch the ball look down and then maybe do something yeah like he's, he's definitely like pass first um, almost all the time yeah it's a it's a strange tendency i've noted i've noticed that he's looking down at his feet honestly i, I wish that and maybe this is happening but i wish Conzo would push for some of these guys to I, the games just don't matter anymore like we were we've lost too many games. The postseason has come way out of the picture. I, I wish Conza would would push Santos and just tell him to just take some shots. Mm-hmm. Just try to do something. Try to get your confidence up. Try to find your stroke a little bit. Try to go get some rebounds. Maybe that's what happened against Mississippi State. Yeah, I think we might see that. <clears throat> Potentially, we might see that the last three games because he shot the ball six times against. Yeah, some of these guys that are going to be around for a while, you know, presumably uh, Xavier Penson, you know, some of the, uh, Pickett Watson. Just go out there and get your shot. Just start finding your confidence. I don't know. It can't hurt at this point. If we lose by 30 because you're throwing up bricks, then mm-hmm. oh well. At least you're getting some experience. Yeah, Torrance Watson did have a good game. Um, he was the leading scorer for Missouri with 12 points in 26 minutes. He was 3 of 7 from 3. And he's had a, a nice little stretch here for a freshman um, where he's he's basically in the last few games he's put up better numbers than his first like I, I saw a thing where uh, the official Mizzou account was posting on Instagram or Twitter that in his last nine games this, this may not that math may not add up here but in his last something game six games or so he had more made threes than in his first 18 games wow I think that was what it, I saw yeah he's definitely starting to look a little more at home out there looking more comfortable taking more shots uh, you can still tell that he's not super confident at times, like he's easily disrupted by by good defense, mm-hmm. and I mean that's just going to be part of of taking shots and and uh, getting used to the game. But with Flow Mark Smith being out, I mean he's yeah. gonna who's somebody gonna take gotta the shots? take those shots, and it needs to be him. <laughs> Beat you to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean we've talked about it all year. It's kind of been a theme of the season is 
I mean, Watson and Pickett are going to be a, presumably a core for this program going forward for the next four years. So um, <clears throat> I'm enjoying still, despite uh, unfortunate outcomes of the games, I'm still enjoying watching them play and get more comfortable. And it's been, it's been really enjoyable to watch those two guys get better this year. Definitely. And I don't... <laughs> I know probably not everyone has watched Missouri for the last um, five seasons in the same way that you and I have, but anybody, when I see people on Twitter or on comment sections or wherever that, that think this play that we've been seeing this season is remin- even reminiscent of the three years under Kim Anderson, I can only assume they didn't actually watch those games yeah. in the Kim Anderson era because it's so different. Yeah, not only was it just depressing, like within the game, because it just we weren't playing that hard and we couldn't make any shots at all, but it was just like there was no hope for the future at any point right. ever. There was nothing to look forward to. And from game to game, there was no, it didn't seem like there was a unified vision for what the team when they took the court, what are we trying to do? What's our, you know, as a team, what are, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What are we, you know, geared towards? Yeah. And obviously this team, I think they do that really well. They try to slow down the game and yeah, play they, really good defense and kind of muck it up a little bit. And they're controlling some pretty high-powered offenses, Yeah, I think, in a way that even though the Cam Anderson era was supposed to be about defense – it never happened. Yeah. I, it's clear that, I mean, even though we've been losing a lot of games, Conzo's not lost the locker room by any stretch. And not even close. I'm pretty sure that that may have happened uh, many different times uh, during the Kim Anderson era. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, oh, that Frankie Hughes guy, he made a three once. Mm-hmm. Like, he might be good someday. You know, I mean, there was just not, there was nothing to look forward to. And uh, but now we can, we see the, the blueprint for the future there's guys to be excited about. There's, like you said, there's seems to be like a mission in place. You know, there's toughness and there's there's fight and there's things to, to get excited about. And we heard those things, you know, during the Kim Anderson era, but we never saw, there was never any proof in the pudding. Mm-hmm. It was just talk. And you're like, okay, when are we going to actually see the team, you know, progress towards these ideals? And we just, and we never saw it. Yeah, that's a good point. Remember the, uh, this is kind of random, but remember the end of the Kim Anderson era when he realized he was, like, gone and he just started saying weird stuff? Like, he just started, like, it's like, get yeah. this guy in a nursing home or something. <laughs> like, he just started saying weird stuff. I think he, he had to have felt some freedom oh, just sure. knowing that it was over. And he could kind of maybe relax a little bit for the first time in three years. Yeah. I, I still can't believe he came out of a coffin Oh my gosh! Zoom madness one season like that was insane. What what is what? I can't believe what message are you sending? I don't know. Like what are what's the thought process behind that? I don't know, but he didn't think that through. Remember his like really sad like um, like press conference in one of those final games where he was like, nobody knows like the the situation I've had to deal with, and I I mean maybe to some extent there were some things that he had to deal with, and but that's I'd love to hear about it. Part of having a job where you're getting paid a lot of (laughs) money to do. So, and I'm sure every coach in the world uh, has things they've got to deal with behind the scenes that so. we'll never know about. Exactly. Yeah. So, I at first like there was like a split second where I kind of felt bad for him, but I'm then I was just like oh, I'm not buying this crap. I remember at the very end of one game when he went off and uh, was caught on camera saying, saying like, a few choice words. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> that the, was the so fan, bizarre. The, I think the fan base was kind of like, oh yeah, this guy's like kind of a, a real person. Yeah, it's true. Honestly, <laughs> we kind of thought he was just like this robot man and. <laughs> It was like everyone was always talking about how good of a guy he is yeah. and everything. And I don't know. It was just, it was weird. Just that whole three years can just be thrown into the abyss for all I care. <laughs> okay. Well, after, uh, now that we've gone through a four game losing streak, there are some winnable games here in the last three. Uh, first one is at home against South Carolina. South Carolina has one, had one of the strangest seasons. Um, I can remember recently, uh, they're 14 and 14 on the season and nine and six in the SEC. So they finally, their SEC record is looking a little bit like it's making a little bit more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're still ranked 86th 
in Ken Palm, 109 on offense, 88 on defense. But of course, Missouri lost out at South Carolina uh, back in mid-January by 10, 85 to 75, even though Missouri shot 44% from three in that game. So um, South Carolina has lost their last two games. They really needed to win probably both of those, but definitely one of them. I mean, they still had NCAA tournament hopes, I think. They needed to definitely win one of their last two against Mississippi State and Alabama, definitely win their last three against Missouri, Texas A&M, and Georgia, and probably pull off at least one upset in the SEC tournament, but probably needed two wins in the SEC tournament to even get close to the bubble. Yeah, it definitely feels like South Carolina's the the flame has has gone out a little bit. It seems like they've probably played themselves out of a NCAA tournament bid at this point. And mainly, mainly it's just because I mean they're still like let's see, one two three four five six. They're still seventh in the SEC, which is honestly decent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have got a positive record in the, in the SEC, but their non conference, just their overall record is is ugly. And uh, they like you said have just had a flat out bizarre season. So. At this point, unless they, like you said, pull off something crazy in the SET tournament or something like that, I think they're probably going to miss miss the tournament. But um, you never know what can happen. And uh, But they definitely have to beat Missouri uh, if they want to have a shot at that. Yeah, so I'm wondering if – I think since their head coach is Frank Martin, there's no chance that it's going to be a situation where they – I've kind of accepted the fact that they're not going to make the NCAA tournament and kind of check out a little bit in these last three games. Yeah, I mean, they have. I, I don't think that'll they happen. They have to know. I mean, Missouri's not very good, so we've got an opportunity to keep adding some wins here. So I definitely don't think they feel like they're out of it at all. And they, yeah. I mean, they probably aren't. And if you're a coach, you got to just say, you know, we just have to win. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, even playing Missouri at home though isn't a super easy win for them, and I, I definitely think this is kind of a toss up. Yeah, uh, Missouri's actually favored uh, by Ken Palm by three at home. I don't know what the what Vegas says, but um, it'll be interesting. I mean, it, South Carolina in conference play doesn't have all that impressive numbers. I mean, they're they turn the ball over quite a bit. They're 11th in the SEC in turnover percentage. They're dead last in the SEC in two point shooting but they are first in the SEC in three-point shooting. So that's that three-point shooting is absolutely what has propelled them to a um, above 500 conference record. Yeah, that and they get to the line a lot. They mm-hmm. get fouled all the time. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just uh, it, I would never uh, bet any money that for sure uh, on uh, South Carolina because you just have no idea what they're going to do. And... Uh, I'm sure uh, Vegas is, has been frustrated with South Carolina all year. Probably. but um, And that's why making a prediction for this game is just, I mean, Missouri could could win by 15 or lose by 15. I yeah. literally wouldn't be surprised by anything. Yeah, they play a pretty fast pace on offense, too. Um, they're actually tied, as far as the raw tempo numbers, according to Ken Palm, they're tied with Arkansas as the fastest-paced offense in the SEC, um, which is obviously the opposite of Missouri. Chris Silva and A.J. Lawson both average about 14 points per game. So they've got a guard and a big that can both score, which is what you need to win games. Um, but on defense, they, they don't turn you over a lot, which obviously we like to see in any Missouri opponent. They're seventh in the SEC in turnover percentage defense. And middle of the road, sixth in both two-point percentage defense and three-point percentage defense. And I think where Missouri will really be able to take advantage is on the offensive glass because South Carolina is 13th in the SEC in offensive rebounds allowed. And that's one spot that despite the talent uh, differential between Missouri and some of these teams, Missouri has won the rebounding battle consistently. Mm -hmm. Do you think Missouri will get their offense back, back in gear? Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Um, I, think, I, don't, I don't think you can count on Missouri's offense uh, to do much no, damage without not. Mark Smith. And probably not. Um, I, I'll predict. Uh, I'll predict Mizzou to win this game um, by three points. Okay. And I think it will be on the backs of nice games from Tillman. I think he's going to get his act together as well as Javon Pickett. 
Interesting, interesting. Pickett seems to just, <clears throat> I don't know, man. He's just, I, I like him a lot. Uh, he can shoot. He can get to the basket. He can, uh, I think he's going he's gonna to score 14 points in this game. I think this is going to be an incredibly ugly game. I think the last three, all three of these last few games for Missouri are going to be really ugly. I think that they are going to try to slow the game down as much as possible, which the first time they played South Carolina, South Carolina just ran right past them on every transition opportunity. Um, South Carolina was just at the rim scoring before Missouri knew what was going on. So hopefully they're scouting that properly and we'll be able to slow that down a little bit and being at home will help that. They'll be able to play their game a little bit more. But I don't think either one of these teams is going to score very much. I think we're looking at if if any – I don't think either team will score 65. And Missouri might win this game like 60 to 59 or something. Like I feel – I see like a really close game – where you're pulling your hair out and it's going to be ugly and really low scoring. Can't wait. But yeah, Missouri's going to win this one. Oh yeah. Will they make it two in a row when they go on the road to play at Georgia, who is one of the worst teams in the SEC? They're 10 and 18 overall, 1 and 14 in conference. Their lone conference win coming against Vanderbilt. They're ranked 110th in Ken Palm. 82nd on offense, 147th on defense. Obviously, this is a first year for head coach Tom Crean, who came over after being fired by Indiana. A lot of people thought he might be the next coach at Missouri for a while. Um, They recently just got a commitment from, depending on what recruiting source you look at, the number one overall recruit in 2019 named Anthony Edwards. So bizarre. Yeah, he's a, he's a Georgia native, and Tom Crean is a great recruiter and was able to get him to stay home. So Yeah. Another quick note on, uh, on Tom Crean, uh, the Archie Miller experiment at Indiana, his, uh, his replacement has not seen a ton of success. I think that's been kind of an interesting thing over there at Indiana. Yeah, he brought in uh, Romeo Langford and basically just put everything on this freshman one-and-done guy. Pretty much. Um, I think I think Indiana is a desirable place for a Midwestern kid to go yeah. play college. A lot so, of storied history. Yeah, and I, I do think Archie Miller's a good coach. So. I think he is too. I think he'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, Georgia has lost nine straight games since uh, upsetting Texas in the um, SEC Big 12 Challenge. So they're, they're not really doing much. And... The offense turns the ball over just about as much as Mizzou. They're 13th in the SEC. Missouri, of course, is 14th. Um, Georgia's offense is 13th in effective field goal percentage and 14th in three-point shooting. So not a lot of offensive firepower. Um, But they are led on offense by two sophomores, uh, Rashawn Hammonds and Nicholas Claxton. So if they stick around and they get this influx of talent with this upcoming recruiting class, I could potentially see Georgia moving up the ranks of the SEC a little bit in the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely Georgia has got a bright future in front of them, I think. And the SEC honestly is not going away uh, from top to bottom. I feel like the SEC has a lot of stuff going for it. Maybe not it, Vanderbilt, but <laughs> for the most part. It'd I been mean, interesting to see what they could have done with a healthy Darius Garland all yeah, season. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, I mean, every every team has got talent, returning talent next year. Tennessee is for sure not going away. So, um, I mean, all you have to do is look at the recruiting classes and see yeah. the, the SEC teams. Yeah, like you said, they're not going anywhere. I mean, think of the coaches in the SEC yeah. now. I mean, it's legendary coaches in the SEC. And the worst team, in, or one of the worst teams in the SEC right now is coached by Tom Crean. So, and just picked up a number one player. Yeah, so the SEC is not going anywhere. Uh, Georgia, on the other hand, for this year is really not very good. Like you said, uh, feels like in a little bit of wa- of watching them, they're they've got nice length. They're pretty. They're they seem to uh, be fairly athletic, but yeah, they just don't shoot very well at all. They also play pretty terrible defense. <laughs> um, you'll be happy to know they do not force turnovers. They are three hundred and thirty third in the nation 
in turnovers forced. So wow. that, that's pretty bad. Uh, obviously, last in the SEC. They're also last in the SEC in overall defensive efficiency and 12th in two-point shooting percentage defense and 12th in three-point shooting percentage defense. Wow. That's terrible. Um, yeah, I wish Missouri could have played them with a healthy Mark Smith, like, yeah. you know, mid-season. If, we, if we were playing this game at home, I think Missouri wins by double digits, honestly. Uh, playing on the road, I mean, Georgia's actually had some pretty decent games recently. They haven't won, like you said, but they've played some good teams pretty tight. Um and I still think that regardless of all of these like horrible stats you just read off, I still think that this is going to be a really close game and Missouri probably loses. But yeah, I don't think uh, – I think every game – I mean, it's pretty obvious that most Missouri games are going to be close. Even – even I mean, a game that you think uh, they're not going to win that game, like on the road at Mississippi State, they still find a way to make it close until the last uh, five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But it sure would be nice to see Missouri win one or two of these games at least. I mean, if they lose both of these games, it's depressing. But I'm not going to be surprised by any by anything at this point. But it would be really cool to see Missouri kind of uh, fight to the end of the year. We're really close um, to the end. And uh, just give us a little something to, to be happy about in the offseason and look forward to next year. Well, I'm predicting a little two-game winning streak. All right. I am going to... Not predicting a, a two-game winning streak. I think they will lose to Georgia, but like you said, I wouldn't be like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they win. Uh, but it's tough to win on the road. Yeah, and it's rare that a, a team only wins one game in conference. Yeah. And um, I'm basically predicting Georgia to only win one game in conference, so that's not likely. And Missouri uh, playing Missouri at home is a pretty nice chance to pick up a win. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, in both of these games, I'm not, not going to be surprised if Missouri loses. But yeah. It's going to be another ugly one, I think. Yes, I just, absolutely. Both of these games will be ugly, slow, probably painful to watch, but maybe uh, that's the best way that Missouri is going to get a, ch- a chance to win, though. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I do think they'll, they'll both be worth watching. Just to, uh, All three of these last games, just to see how Missouri sort of handles this adversity and just the fact that they're – their, their season is, is going nowhere and mm-hmm. the fans maybe I mean probably even the coaching staff is thinking about the players for next year and um, how lineups are going to work and all that kind of stuff so uh, I would love to just start talking about next year already yeah. because it's it's always more fun to look at a potential bright future than the f- certain uh, not bright present yeah but we're going to hold off on that until the season's officially over we'll get there but we've got a lot of cool i i've got some we've got some good ideas for um the sec tournament and the ncaa tournament that uh we'll get some interactive stuff with the listeners so yeah i'm excited for that yeah speaking of the sec really quick i wanted to see uh what your opinion of of the conference as a whole has 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 changed since the last time we talked about it a few weeks ago we made our our uh, um, predictions for how many teams we th- we thought would make the tournament. I think I said something as high as nine, maybe. <laughs> I think I said eight, but I think it's possible yeah. I said nine. You said eight, yeah. Okay. I I still I still think at least six or seven get in, but I think the the overall picture for the SEC maybe looks a little more bleak than it did a few weeks ago, just because everybody's kind of beaten up on each other. Yeah, especially the top three. I mean, yeah. I kind of thought that Kentucky and LSU. I mean. Looking at like mid-season, I thought Kentucky and LSU were a step below Tennessee. Definitely, and they've kind of shown that they're right there with them. Yeah, Tennessee I mean, has has struggled a little bit as of, as of late. They don't look quite as uh, as dominant as they did earlier on in the year. And Kentucky has just exploded and oh, yeah. become literally one of the best, very best teams in the country. Yeah, both Tennessee and Kentucky are absolutely final four contending teams this year lsu might be right there with them as well if they have a few things go their way in the tournament um mississippi state i I knew that mississippi state would kind of figure things out um they struggled a little bit early on but they're they find themselves in in fourth place now and that's kind of where i thought they would be uh to begin with so they're probably in good position to to be a six or seven seed in the tournament yeah when we when we talked last time about looking at the ncaa tournament i had I actually had Florida out mm-hmm. because I think that was probably the main difference between you and I. I'm assuming you were probably including Florida in your eight. I was. And I had them out. Now, of course, 
uh, I can't remember the exact date that we talked about, but they have now won five games in a row yeah. and have put themselves solidly on the good side of the NCAA bubble. So, and I think they might have actually kind of flipped places with Alabama a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, Alabama has lost three of their last five, but they have every opportunity to work themselves back onto the good side because they play LSU and Auburn and Arkansas to, to finish out the season. So yeah, there's really good opportunity for some big wins for Alabama. Mm-hmm. So there's five teams that are solidly in the field and I would add Ole Miss to that list as well. I would too. And so that gives us six teams that I think at least at this point are pretty much a lock. Like if the season ended right now, those teams are a lock to make the tournament. So then I put, I'd put Auburn in there. You put Auburn in there. Okay. And then that, that's it for me. I would not fault you for that. Uh, <clears throat> I was going to include Auburn in kind of my most likely to, to make it. But there's those bubble teams of, of South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, even Arkansas now. Arkansas might have played themselves out of the picture. Uh, I mean, they're 5-10 and 10 in the SEC. Uh, they've dropped down to like 10th, I think, in the SEC. I don't see 10 teams making the tournament. No, definitely not. So I think Arkansas might be out at this point. So I would agree. Um, like you mentioned, Alabama's got some big opportunity in the next couple of games to get some big wins, but um, they're going to have to do that, I think, to make the field. So the SEC could be looking at you know only six or seven teams making the tournament now. Yeah, I think I think seven is... Seven's a good number. ...is right where it'll be. I think I agree with you. Because South Carolina, there's no way their resume will stack up. Although, listening to the national college basketball media, they were talking about um, Indiana, like being on the bubble recently until their last few losses. And I was like, okay, well. That's kind of what the tournament I feel like has migrated to, like in the last you know five years or so, is these mediocre Power Five teams getting a shot over maybe some of these mid-major teams who have three or four losses. Um, I don't know yeah, I think, how much I love that, but I mean, take Syracuse for example. The last few years, Syracuse is kind of one of those teams that you're just like want to vomit whenever they get into the tournament field <laughs> as like as an 11 seed, yeah. and they're like, you know, 15 and 16 or something. You're like, how on earth does Syracuse get in? Like, it's totally all on brand, and then they make the Final Four. Yeah, you know, so it's just like these. You kind of want to give a shot to these teams who can beat anybody, but can also lose to anybody. Yeah, I think that, but that, that just the fact that Syracuse is doing doing something like that speaks more, in my opinion, to the structure of the NCAA tournament yeah. being a single elimination tournament with a huge field. Yeah. But personally, I would like to see more. I would like to see it more lean, Loyola's. Well, I'd like to see it lean more towards a team that was pretty dominant in their mid-major conference, but they get upset in the conference championship game. I would like to see a few more of those teams get in. Yeah, a few more teams that like win win their their conference or or yeah. I mean, not that it has to be some kind of automatic thing, but no. but I think I don't know. I just kind of hate seeing a, a team that's like right around 500 get in when you have a team that doesn't really have an opportunity to get any marquee wins, but they and they have one bad they, game. They finish the season with 25 wins, but then get upset in their conference tournament. Yep. And then one one game decides their entire season pretty yeah. much. Yeah, it's it really isn't fair. And we see those teams pull off upsets all the time in mm-hmm. the tournament. We you see that kind of stuff all the time. And why not give those kids a, a chance to you know make a lifelong memory or something? I don't know. I I feel like I agree that I would love to see those a couple of those dominant mid major teams have a shot over those uh, Syracuse teams. And now next year, potentially Missouri is going to be like eighth in the SEC, and we're going to be saying, oh, you got to put Missouri in the field. <laughs> I know, but it feels like a little bit different because, I don't know, because Syracuse is just that big brand name, and I, they're, they're who I'm thinking of right now. But uh, I'm sure I'll have some examples of, of both sides of the coin uh, whenever we see the field this year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for every. Obviously, March Madness is super fun, so I'm excited for that. It's probably my favorite sporting event, like, all year. I think that's all I have for this week. All? You yeah. have anything else you want to say? Uh, you're acting like I'm forgetting something. I, I think that's I all. I want to make sure you've gotten everything out. I've, I've got it all. Okay, well, uh, I guess that's all for this week then. So you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can tweet us. You should definitely tweet us. Send us a, send us a tweet. At Mizzou Sports Pod. And you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. 
Were you wanting me to quiz you on a player from Mizzou past? No, I don't know why. <laughs> I honestly like, didn't have anything in mind. I okay. Just... Well, I have an explanation for that. Okay. I don't want to run out of players. I totally get We're that. We're getting a little too close to modern day. I totally understand. And so for the sake of longevity of the bit, I want to hold off a little bit. Okay. Plus, producer Cameron's ready to go home. Um, you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.